Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Let's show some appreciation to our band for being out here today to lead us. We're grateful for them. Not one person said we're not coming. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Well, I want to tell you about something that's been brought to my attention. Uh, I've had several people in the church present um, an idea to me in this particular season that I think is great. And what they propose is that we have a task force of people from the church who will go and serve those who are perhaps elderly and can't get out to get groceries or their meds or, or perhaps are immune deficient. And I love when things like this happen. I love when ministry is born on the hearts of the people. And so we're going to start that task force. Now, if you want to be a part of that, there's already a group of people who have committed to this. Or if you are in need or know someone who's in need, you know someone who, who really shouldn't go out to get groceries right now, or someone who needs help getting their meds, we have a group who will serve them and are eager to do that. Here's what you could do. Write this down. Michelle Bender. Michelle Bender's on our team here at the church staff team. She's wonderful. And Michelle's going to spearhead this. Her email is mbender. B-E-N-D-E-R at ccgf.org. mbender at ccgf.org. Take advantage of this. Be a part of this. I love when things like this come together and uh, we can serve those who are in need and care for people because that's what we're called to do. It's a part of our calling as Christians. All right, with that in mind, let's pray. God, we do pray for those who are in need right now. We pray for those, Lord, not only here in, in our city perhaps, who will be afflicted, but those, Lord, around the country, around the world, who are even afflicted or have gone through this now or, or, or mourning the loss of a loved one. We pray, God, that you would give them hope through the gospel. We pray, God, for those who are in fear, concerned about what might be coming and as if something is hanging over their heads. We pray, God, that you give them peace. Thank you, God, for Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of hope and peace and love. We come before you in his name, Lord. We ask that you would teach us through your holy scriptures. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there um, was a renowned theologian named Karl Barth from Switzerland. And he's probably one of the most significant theologians in the past 200 years. Just a really uh, gifted guy of God. And he said something that I, I really like and I think about in times like this. Karl Barth suggested that um, at times such as these, that we should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Okay, so I don't have a newspaper. We'll pretend this, this iPad is a newspaper because that is kind of our newspaper today, right? So we preach with the Bible in one hand, a newspaper in the other. In other words, we're informed about what we believe about what's happening in the world. How? By the media? By, by Facebook. There are some good memes out there, aren't there? No, no. By the Word of God, by the Scriptures. 
And so I, it's interesting. We, the, the scripture that I'm going to read to you, Luke 9, 18 to 27, was actually selected months ago. We plan out our sermon series in advance, and um, it's an interesting passage. When I read it, you're going to say, wow, that's what you're reading today? Well, I think it has pertinence to us. I, I certainly believe that it has meaning for us. So would you turn with me to Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. We're going to read from the Word of God here, the words of Jesus, of course, the life of Jesus. I took my bookmark out, and I can't find it. There we go. I know where the Gospels are, I promise you. Okay, so 18, 18, and uh, we're picking up, I'm sorry, did I say Luke 9? No wonder I can't find it. I'm in the wrong spot. Luke 9, starting in verse 18, forgive me, and, and going on to 27. Once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah. And so others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell anyone this. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. You know, these are, these are sometimes difficult passages, aren't they? To wrap our head around. They're challenging passages. This passage in particular that we're looking at today, I think is incredibly uh, compelling. And, and if you read verse 13, 18 and look at verse 18 with me, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? You see, there was this buzz around Jesus. There was a lot of noise around Jesus. There were dissonant voices around the person of Jesus. If you read earlier in chapter 9 of Luke, you'll find that Herod, yes, that Herod, was talking and asking about Jesus. Jesus had Herod's attention. And he was wondering, who is this guy? He suggested that he might be John the Baptist raised back to life. Well, not only was Herod talking about Jesus, all the people were talking about Jesus. In the preceding verses, from where I just read in chapter 9, we see that Jesus had fed miraculously 5,000 people. And so you can bet that everyone in that region of the world at that time was talking about this guy, Yeshua. This one who had come. Who is he? What's going on? Is this stuff real? They were very, very curious. Lots of noise around Jesus. Lots of voices chitter-chattering. You think the coronavirus is big? Let me tell you, people were talking about Jesus. They're still talking about him, aren't they? And, and there was confusion. 
Because people didn't understand and know what to make of it. And that's why we pick up and we see here in, in verse 19 that it says that, that they replied, the disciples, when they're asked this question, who do people say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others, that you're one of the prophets of long ago who has come back to life. You see, there was this confusion. And, and here's the, the, the understanding when it says that some people said he was John the Baptist. That's the Herodians. These are people associated with Herod. If you look at Matthew 14, you can make a note to do that. You'll read a similar passage there where you'll see that, that the Herodians were coming to Herod and they were questioning, saying, is this John the Baptist come back to life? All these powerful things that are happening? So some people thought that Jesus was John the Baptist. It says that others thought that he was Elijah. Well, what's that about? Well, here's what it was about. There was a prophecy. There is a prophecy in the book of Malachi about Elijah appearing in bodily form, coming back again. And so some people in their mind thought, well, this must be Elijah. All these crazy things happening, that has to be it. Still others thought that it was a prophet. Well, there was a common belief in those times that people who had died could be restored to even greater power than they had when they were alive. And so some surmised that Jesus must be Jeremiah the prophet, come back to life. This is what was happening here. People were confused. They were wondering. And in the midst of all this, what does Jesus do in verse 18? He was praying in private, and his disciples were with him. In the midst of this, Jesus says, hey, there's lots of noise. I need you to come in close. Let's huddle up. Just you and me. Look into my eyes. I want you to hear me speak to you. In the midst of the noise, in the midst of the clatter and the dissonant voices, Jesus says, come close. Look, it's no different today. Would you agree that there's a lot of noise in our world today? <laughs> you laugh, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, everyone is freaking out. And I, and, and I get it, right? It makes sense on a certain level. On a certain level. Certainly to certain people. But, but let me tell you, what we see on the, through the media, TV, radio, digital media, all these voices that we're hearing, they cause confusion, dissonance. And what the Lord says to us is, hey, 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 come in here. Huddle up. I want you to hear my voice. I want you to look into my eyes. You need to hear from me. So listen, I would not suggest that we need to tune out media necessarily. Look, I think it would be, that would be irresponsible of us. We need to at least know what's going on in the world. We need to hear updates. We need to pray. But more than that, we need to hear the voice of Jesus. More than we need to hear the voices in our culture, we need to hear from Jesus. Let me give you very, two very practical ways. You know the answer to this. But let me give you two practical ways we can practice this. Of course, prayer and Scripture. I'll talk about prayer first. If you've been around Christ Church in the last month or so, you may have received one of these Bible Promises for You booklets. If you haven't got one, we can get you one. Free of charge. We'd like to give it as a gift to you. This can help guide your prayer time. Look, you get one of these. It's organized topically. You can pray Scripture, just like we did here this morning. You can pray Scriptures. You got people who are anxious. You got people you know who are, who are in fear. You yourself are gripped with fear. You're anxious. 
take one of these books and you can pray specifically at this time Bible promises, scriptures from the Bible that, that will help instruct and inform your prayers. This is a way that you can cut through the voices. Let me give you another way. What if you were to spend some time reading scripture in a very specific way? Have you ever opened up the Bible and then listened to a narrator read the scriptures as you've been opened? It's a great way to read the Bible. There are free resources, if you're not aware of this, BibleGateway.com. Go to BibleGateway.com. You can queue up any passage you want to, and you can listen to a narrator. You can hit play and hear someone read it, and you can read along. You can do that through the YouVersion Bible app as well. And it's a great way to digest Scripture. I think we might have some time on our hands this week, folks. <laughs> what a great way to say, you know what, I'm going to spend a half hour. I'm going to spend an hour. I'm going to listen to the Gospel of Luke today. And you could, you could break it up into parts. You could take some time to do this. But what a great way for us to do what? Cut through the noise. Hear from Jesus, because we need to hear His voice. Here's what I would say to you. Get away from the noise so that you can hear the voice of Jesus. Do that this week. That's what we see reflected in this passage. And it leads to something very uh, powerful. Let me read to you, uh, continuing in Luke 9, 18. Jesus says, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, the disciples. Well, some say John the Baptist. We talked about this. Others say Elijah. Still others, one of the prophets. And then he says this, But what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. Now, this is big. For the first time in the Gospel of Luke, a human being identifies Jesus as the Son of God. This is the first time. It took them nine chapters to get here. Nine chapters in, finally, there's a human being who says, ah, aha, I see it. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the Christ. Now, it's interesting. If you just back up a little bit in Luke, I mean, for instance, go to Luke 8. In Luke 8, you'll see that, that the disciples were on a boat. They're out fishing. A storm comes up, and they lose their minds. I mean, they, just, they think they're going to die. They're so worried. Jesus wakes up. He had been sleeping on the boat while this was happening. And he calms the winds and waves. And then these guys, Peter's just now proclaimed Jesus Messiah. Well, at that time, they all say, whoa. Who is this man? Who, who is he? They didn't know. They were confused. Or, or just go back again a few sentences in Luke 9 and see the feeding of the 5,000. Let me read you two verses from here. Okay, this is from Luke 9, 12 and 13. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to Jesus and said, this is in the context of the feeding of the 5,000. Hey, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here they were again flipping out we can't do this send them off to mcdonald's jesus there's got to be there's got to be a super eight around here and jesus replied you give them something to eat can you imagine the looks on their faces they answered we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. I wonder if they were facing a toilet paper shortage. <laughs> you see this. I mean, do these sound like guys who were just got it? They just, you know, totally, oh yes, Jesus is the Messiah. No. 
So what happened? Why this sudden change of heart? Some, some scholars suggest, well, they just finally put the pieces together. They finally put the puzzle together. Really? Is that how it happened? Maybe. Some, some suggest that this, this miracle of feeding the 5,000 was the thing that really did it for them, that finally they got it. Well, I'll say this, Luke doesn't give us evidence of that. Luke doesn't say, that, that, and then they believed. We don't see that. So what is it? Well, Luke does give us a clue. He does show us why. I believe Peter was able to make this confession, and finally someone sees Jesus as the Messiah, and it's right there in verse 18. I'll take you there again. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? You see, Jesus was praying for the disciples. That's why their eyes were opened. Do you see the connection? Luke lays it out for us. Why was Peter able to see this and answer this question before his brothers? Because Jesus had been praying that his eyes would be opened. I mean, can you imagine Jesus saying, God, these guys just don't get it. They're so thick. Would you help them, God, to see who I am? They need you so badly. Would you show them, Lord, reveal to them who I am? And his eyes were open suddenly. Peter isn't smart enough to figure this out. None of us are. Jesus had drawn him. Now, this is very important. Because if this is true, if it's through the revelation that only comes from God and through the power of prayer, then that means that we should really be focused on praying for people in our lives. Let's go back to the newspaper. You're concerned about people in this world? You're concerned about your loved ones? You're fearful of death or they're fearful of death? And what's going to happen? The best thing that you and I could do for them is not make a Facebook post. The best thing that we could do about this is pray for the people we love. Are there people in your circle that you're concerned about? Look, not just that they'll get over and pass the coronavirus, but that they will have a home in eternity with Christ. Are you praying for those people by name? Daily, interceding and saying, God, would you help them to see you? You're concerned about our culture. You're concerned about our world. That people are moving away from God. Are you praying for our world? Are you praying for our culture earnestly and saying, God, help them to see you as Messiah? Look, as a church, we're committed to praying. What we just did here, I know that was a long prayer set, right? We're committed to that kind of thing. We're going to build our prayer muscles. And we're going to pray together. And we're going to seek God. We're going to get on our knees. And we're going we're to embrace some of these ancient traditions, historical traditions in the church, and say, God, we know that it'll only happen through you. We want to see people on Easter Sunday, and I pray we can gather here on Easter Sunday. And, and we want to see people on that day respond to the gospel. What if you were to bring someone to church? What if you invite someone and pray for them by name? Perhaps the Lord would open their eyes, and they would, they would confess Him. They would proclaim Him to be the Messiah, the Savior. We want to call our world to Christ. This is all about prayer for us. So let me say this. Access to Jesus' identity. Unlocking who he is, is supernaturally mediated. Supernaturally mediated. So we must pray. Here's another way of saying this, layman's terms. The Christian faith is caught, 
not taught. It's caught first. It doesn't mean we don't teach. But it's primarily caught. God opens our eyes. We see that here in this passage. Isn't it powerful? Now, we see Peter make this confession. We see Peter say to Jesus that you are the Messiah. Now he gives them, he gives us more and shows us what's next. And that's the next part of the passage I want to look at. I'm going to look at specifically verses 23 through 25. Jump there with me in Luke 9. Let's look at what do we do once we recognize Jesus is the Messiah. It says, Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? You lose or forfeit their very self. These are radical words. Radical words. Heavy words. And, and here's the thing. They are addressed to us. Did you notice this? And so here Jesus is in the huddle with the guys. And then he says this. He says, look, whoever wants to be my disciple, he takes it beyond just the people who are sitting with him. He says, whoever. The people who are outside the circle. The people who are yet to come. If anyone wants to follow me. And he lays it out. And he speaks of something where we have to persevere. It's day by day. It's daily. It's a grind. And he says this. He says that they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow him. I want to take those each briefly, uh, phrase by phrase. These are important. These three phrases. Let's look at the first one. He says that if anyone's going to come after him, they must deny themselves. Deny themselves. Let's talk about this in terms of the ancient Roman culture. Okay, In the ancient Roman world, there were very strong networks of kinship. This was a person's identity. The family you're a part of, the, the circle that you are within, this was huge, and it was something that you were born with and that you carried. It was your identity at that time. And so to deny self meant to set aside your family of origin, to set aside the inner circle of friends you have that comprised your identity. That's what this meant to the audience that Jesus was speaking to. What's it mean to us? Denying yourself, denying ourselves, speaks of an openness to constructing a new identity rooted in the new community, the body of believers that is centered on God and faithful to the teachings of Jesus. It's all wrapped up in identity. This thing about denying yourself, that we have to deny ourselves to follow Christ, it's about embracing a new identity in Jesus Christ. It's no longer who I've been, but now who I am in Him. Let me give you an example. There's a young woman that I know. She grew up in an Islamic family. And when she went to college, she met a group of friends who were Christians. And they shared the gospel with her, and she became a Christian. Now, this was huge for her very large family. And it did not set well with them because there was a certain identity for her family. And now an entirely new identity was come with this young woman. I actually officiated her wedding this past fall. And it was really interesting to see the dynamics. She is having to navigate because she has a new identity. And it's in Christ. And it is in contrast to the identity that she has lived with her entire life. This was difficult for her family, but she has denied herself. She's denied who her identity has been all of her life and the way that she was raised. 
and she embraces something new. Do you see this? There's application for you and me. And it's about identity. Have you taken on the identity of Christ? To deny yourself means you put everything else aside. All your trophies, all your accolades, all the things that you would pin your pride to, and you say, no longer is that who I am, but now I am in Christ. So that's the first part, that we deny ourselves. The second part is this. It says that we take up our cross daily. Take up the cross daily. Again, let me take you to the Roman world. You're familiar with this. In the Roman world, this idea of taking up the cross was all about crucifixion. A victim carrying a crossbeam of wood from the site of conviction or sentencing to the place of crucifixion. We've seen this depicted in film and in pictures and things like this. Well, what's that mean to us? It means to us that we are to live. Now, this is heavy. This is where it gets really, really radical. We are live on a daily basis as if we are sentenced to death by crucifixion. I mean, mind you, when Jesus spoke these words, he had yet to be crucified. And yet he's saying, take up your cross. Follow me. He knew he was living with a death sentence. And he says, listen, we live as if we are are sentenced to death by crucifixion. Here's what that means. We're dead to the world that opposes God's purposes, but we are free to live according to the values of the kingdom of God. Dead to the world that, that opposes God's purposes, free to live according to the values of the kingdom of God. Again, let me give you some practicality around this. I'll take you to Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Let me show you this list. The world says, here, here are the values of the world. The world says, you're blessed if you're rich in wealth. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. How do you live this out? How do you take up your cross? You, you deny the values of the world. You say, I'm going I'm to value rather instead kingdom principles. The world says, look, the cocky, the headstrong are the ones who are blessed. Jesus says, no, blessed are the meek. The world says, Blessed are the vengeful, the vigilant, people who take up arms for, to, to fight for themselves. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. The world says, blessed are those who are successful at any cost. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And finally, the world says, blessed are the aggressors. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. You see this? This is the way of the cross. There's one more phrase here, and the phrase is this, follow me, very simply. Jesus says that anyone who comes after him must deny themselves. The people who confess him as Messiah, they must deny themselves. That They must take up the cross daily, and then they must follow him. Well, what's that mean? Again, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, I hope you listen to it this week, or read it. Luke's portrait of the disciples in his Gospel is that they are with Jesus. I mean, it's amazing. Read through it. You'll see that these guys are gathered with Jesus all the time. And what are they doing? They're observing Christ. They are practicing His ways. I have three daughters. My oldest daughter is named Molly. I remember when she was one, two years old. We'd watch football games together, of course, watching the Steelers. And as we're watching the football games, everyone gets fired up. And what do we do when a touchdown scored? We throw our arms up, right? Touchdown! Yes! You know? And all of a sudden, what did we see? Little Molly raising her arms up saying, touchdown! <laughs> it was cute. You ever seen a kid do this kind of thing? If you haven't, you're not living. It's really great. 
to see a child embrace football. And she would raise his arms and say that even without us prompting her. What was happening there? She was imitating. This is how we learn. Psychologists have done studies on this. They've studied one-year-olds and two-year-olds. And here's what they've learned. That, that their language skills, their social skills, their motor skills are all learned through imitation. And here's how it works. They watch and listen. Molly was watching us and listening to us. They, they process what's happening. Oh, they do this whenever something happens on that screen there. They put the arms up in the air. And then they attempt to copy the behavior. And once they do that, they begin to practice it themselves. It's the same way in the Christian life. When Jesus says, follow me, here's what he's saying. He's saying, watch and listen to me. He's saying, process what I am saying, what I've said to you through my word. Jesus says, I want you to attempt to copy this behavior. Go and love like me. And he calls us to put that into practice. This is what it means to follow Jesus. We are invited to accompany him on the road. And we do that by listening and watching him. We do this by processing. We're doing this right now, what he says. And then attempting to copy his behavior and practice it. Listen, life is summed up in the cross. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. Life is summed up in the cross. That's identity. That's values. And that is action for our lives. I want to finish with this. There are two questions that Jesus, of course, asked the disciples in that little huddle in Luke 9. Two questions. One question is this. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say I am? And I think that's a question that we can turn on all of us here today. It's a question that Jesus asks us. Who do you say he is? Who is Jesus? I mean, for some of you, perhaps you have not identified Jesus as the Messiah. Perhaps all the noise, all the, all the clamor, everything that's happening in our world, not only right now, but it's been happening in our world, has distracted you and confused you. Well, listen, I can tell you this. Someone has been praying for you. There's someone, whether it's someone in this church, someone for a listener online who's a part of your family, someone has been praying for you. And what they're praying is this, is that you would see Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. It's for you. Let me hang that question in the air again. Who do you say Jesus is. It might be the only question that matters in this life. You could make it through the coronavirus without even getting sick. But listen, we still have a death problem in this world. The problem of death is not going away. But Jesus has given us the cure. And that is through His life, His body, His blood poured out. We can gain eternal life. Jesus says this. He says, what good is it? If a man gains the whole world, but yet forfeits his soul, his self, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Some of you have answered that question. Let me ask you a question. Are you growing in his grace? If you know he's the Messiah, are you growing in his grace? Are you living a life that's defined by the cross? Is your identity in Jesus? Are your values, the, the values of the kingdom, are your actions, the actions of Jesus? Well, listen, 
That first question is tied to the second, which is this, who do people say I am? Who does the crowd say I am? I think it's tied to who we say he is and how we live that out. Because the world is absolutely watching us. How are we portraying Jesus? May we portray him as a conquering Savior. May we portray him as one who is full of grace and full of mercy. May we portray him as the one who is the answer for the world today. The world has questions. The world is wondering. The world, world wants peace. The world is looking for hope. Jesus is the answer. My friends, my hope is that we will all answer these questions. That we will answer the question of who is Jesus. We'll see him as the Messiah. And that we will live a life defined by the cross. His identity. The values of the kingdom. The actions of Jesus. And that a watching world, a watching world, will no longer be confused, but also see Him as the One, the Savior, the Christ. Amen. So glad you've been here with us today. We're going to close by singing a specific song. It's a song that I'm excited we're going to sing, and I think it's perfect for this day. I've asked Brad and the band at the last minute to lead us in the song called Our God. And as we sing this song this morning, I believe that it's an anthem of sorts for these times. So I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet. If you're someone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, if you're someone who believes He is the answer, if you embrace the way of the cross, then this is our song. I pray you'll sing it and give praise to God together with us today as we close this service. Thank you.